Greetings from the North, citizens of Earth, welcome to Forum Borealis, and a new episode in our series between Adam and Eve. Today we're walking in the shoes of Adam, in one of his most pathetic typologies, namely the inhibited, neurotic, cowardly, fake, nice guy. He's the one who's popular among girls who love him, but only as a friend. And why wouldn't she? He's her own personal butler, secretary and therapist, free of charge. Except at some point, after much sweat and teeth rubbing, he will make a move, most likely while she's crying on his shoulder about the jerk she dated like pout his lips onto hers or touching her inappropriately from out of nowhere. Yes, that guy, who doesn't take care of himself but is eager to serve everyone else, especially hot girls. Yet he rarely gets a date, mostly because while he spends hours listening to his female friend's problems, he's patiently waiting, hoping she will wake up to see what a fantastic person he is, only to hear something like... You're such a great guy. You'll make some lucky woman very happy someday. (laughs) His primary goal is to make other people happy and put their needs and wants before his own. He sacrifices his personal power and thrives in the victim role. He's extremely dependent on external validation while also avoiding any type of conflict like the plague. He desperately tries to hide his perceived flaws and mistakes. He tends to be disconnected from other men and from his own masculine energy. Indeed, he often despises any manifestation of masculinity. And he frequently fails to live up to his full potential. Yes, you know him, don't you? He is the relative who lets his wife run the show. He's the friend who will do anything for anybody, but whose own life seems to be in shambles. He's the guy who frustrates his wife because he's so afraid of conflict that nothing ever gets resolved. He's that boss who tells one person what they want to hear, then reverses himself to please someone else. He is the man who lets people walk all over him because he doesn't want to rock the boat. He is the dependable guy at work who will never say no, but who would never tell anyone if they were imposing on him. He is the man whose life seems so under control until boom, one day he does something to destroy it all. Yes, you know him by some of these traits. In fact, you recognized it in yourself, didn't you? or maybe in who you used to be. Well, even if you genuinely didn't, the good thing is that the cure for the nice guy syndrome contains certain ingredients which are healthy for us all to pursue. It is nothing less than the path of the integrated man, and for the man to be born, the boy must die. So how to achieve the way of the superior man? Well, first you must take your nice guy medicine. 
and the doctor prescribing it is our guest for tonight. Namely the speaker, author and therapist Dr. Robert Allen Glover, author of the classic No More Mr. Nice Guy, a proven plan for getting what you want in love, sex and life. He grew up in a Christian fundamentalist family and blossomed as a nice guy himself until his midlife awakening. Between 74 and 79 he studied religious education and counselling at Harding University where he got his master and between 81 and 84 took his PhD in marriage and family therapy at Texas Women's University. The first eight years of his career he worked as a religious minister before switching to become a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Bellevue, Washington in 88. He spent thousands of hours working with hundreds of nice guys and their partners in individual and couples therapy, which helped him realize the problem in his self and others. Once Dr. Glover cracked the code, he started teaching the result of his work and watched countless nice guys transform from being passive, resentful victims to empowered, integrated males. Along with these personal changes have come similar transformations in these men's professional careers and intimate relationships. When his first book came out in 03, it was quickly and fully embraced by the then emerging new men's movement of pickup artists, seduction gurus, life coaches and dating mentors, because they all recognized the truism in it and experienced firsthand the effectiveness of its cure. In 2012, he launched TPI, or Total Personal Integration University, to better help men and women put their intention into action, providing long-distance consultation and online learning. Dr. Glover also leads several weekly therapy groups for recovering nice guys and regularly conducts the classes, seminars and workshops around the world with titles such as Breaking Free from the Nice Guy Syndrome, Dating Essentials for Men, Nice Guys Don't Finish Last, They Rot in Middle Management, And today he divides his year between Bellevue, Washington and Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, where he lives with his wife. Through his books, online classes, workshops, podcasts, blogs, consultations and therapy groups, Glover has helped change the innumerable lives around the world and become the internationally recognized authority on the nice guy syndrome. Consequently, he is a frequent guest in media and has been featured in numerous publications, podcasts, radio and TV shows. Of which just some I've selected to mention are Fox News, NBC, Huffington Post, Los Angeles Times, El Paso Times, Men's Health Magazine, The Seattle Post Intelligencer, Men's Sight Magazine, New Mail Magazine, Rush Limbaugh Show, The Guardian, Sydney Morning Herald, Talk America Radio, Washington Post, and Washington Times. The Seattle Times called him a psychology guru. The New York Times said, I have a lot of respect for you and your work, and that's not something I say often. Amy Alcon, the advice goddess, said of him, he has a tone that veers between conventional psychological counsel and edgy outrageousness. 
And now let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth so that you can make up your own mind about the doctor, his cure and your potential ailment. Welcome to the show, Robert. Good evening, and uh, thank you. Uh, it's good to be here, Al. Oh, I'm so happy to have you, Robert, because uh, I've been aware of this topic uh, that we're going to discuss today uh, for many, many years, but I was not aware that someone actually had written a book about it. Of course, I should have known, <laughs> because it's, it's such a basic topic in this field. But have you heard about Zan Perion? I have heard of him. I've never met him, but I know one of his colleagues. Right, because he recommend, I had him on, and he said, folks, get this book. <laughs> I, I like those kind of recommendations. Right? No nonsense. And I looked it up and I realized why, what he was talking about. You really hit the hammer on the nail. And I have to disclose it uh, for the folks listening. What I'm referring to here is the so-called, is the archetype, that so-called nice guy. Yes. And so you have a book with a wonderful title called No More, Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be the base of our talk today. Although I did discover another book, and, and I assume the contents kind of conflate into each other. And the other book is called Dating Essentials for Men. And from what I can see in the contents, it's kind of in the same line, uh, in the same field at least. So uh, I'm really looking forward to picking your brain on these topics here. All right. But... I have to uh, start with the beginning. Uh, how did you become aware of the nice guy syndrome? Well, I, I became aware because uh, I, I had to go to work on my own nice guy issues. And it began, oh, probably close to 30 years ago. I was in my second marriage and my then wife basically told me, she says, you know, everybody thinks you're such a nice guy, but you're not. You're passive aggressive. You're, you're mean to me. You hurt me. I can't depend on you. She said, I'd rather be with an asshole because at least I know an <laughs> asshole. She said, I know at least he's going to you know, be consistent. He'll treat me bad all the time. Right. She said, you treat me good and then you treat me bad when I'm not expecting it. And she said, you need to go get help. And I thought, well, that's strange. You're the one who's unhappy and moody and never wants to have sex anymore and always seems in a bad mood. And I'm the one who has to go get help. But I actually went to looking for answers to why me being a nice guy, i.e. treating her well, trying to make her happy, avoiding conflict, why all those things didn't make her happy. And uh, fortunately, I landed in some good places that um, that were, you know, that there were a big stick upside my head to realize this roadmap or paradigm I had of, well, if I just, if I just be a nice guy and do everything right and treat everybody well, then I'll be liked and loved and get my needs met and have a nice problem free, smooth life. I realized that that was a, a faulty paradigm. And, um, yeah, but hang on. In the nineties, there wasn't a lot of info about this around. How on earth did you uh, dig up something? Well, I, it, like I said, it came out of my own, my own digging. Cause you're, you're right. Back in that time, I'd come across 
um, Iron John by Robert Bly, and you know uh, there were there were men's circles, but I found that stuff after I'd actually already started. But where I started is I, I landed originally in a twelve-step group for sex addicts because my wife kept saying, "You're a sex addict. You're a sex addict." So because I wanted to have sex with my wife, who no longer <laughs> wanted to have sex, and so I, I I went to this group and quickly found out I wasn't a sex addict because I wasn't having enough sex to be a sex addict. But it was a, a the perfect place for me to start my journey because I'd grown up in a fundamental Christian church, grown up with a critical, angry father that, you know, I had to hide from. I grew up during the 60s and 70s with angry feminism of, you know, every man's a rapist and, you know, just negative. So, you know, I I was was trying to be really good. I ended up in this 12-step group, and for the first time in my life, I just started opening up and revealing me, just started talking about you know, my behaviors, my actions, my impulses, my feelings, my, and, and it was lovely because, you know, nobody was offended or shocked. They would just say, thank you for sharing, Robert. Mm. And, um, and about the same time I got with a therapist and is a woman therapist. And I remember our very first session I had with her, she got a string out, put it on the ground and did a physical demonstration of boundaries with me. Now, I, I was in my mid-30s in my second marriage. I already had a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy. I had never heard of boundaries. I had no idea what personal boundaries were. Oh. So luckily, you know, from there, I, I, I kept landing in, in men's groups, therapists, and, and just got really good quality um, assistance to realize why this paradigm wasn't serving me. Now, I was also a marriage and family therapist, so men were coming to to work with me with their wives and girlfriends, and they were saying the same things I was saying. They say, mm-hmm. now, Robert, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I, I, I'm better than her ex. I treat her well. I raise her kids. I give her everything she wants, uh, but it's never good enough. She's never happy. She never wants to have sex anymore. That was a real common theme. And and I thought I'm not the only one with this, as you called it, an archetype of of just believing if if I'm good and treat everybody well, they'll be good to me and treat me well. And um, so I started a no more Mister Nice Guy men's group. We met every other Wednesday. About when did you start this? That's about twenty five plus years ago. Still, um, uh, still very early. Yeah, so maybe closer to thirty years ago. So you may actually have been one of the first who who jumped on that bandwagon. I think I was because actually I made a statement uh, in an early draft of the book that I was one of the first people to address it. And some guy sent me, actually his attorney, sent me a a letter and said, my client used the term nice guy in in a cassette recordings before you know this so you you need to now mention that in every every document you put out every speech you give you need to give him credit for that and i hired an attorney and and wrote his attorney back and said i will reference that that your that your client recorded a cassette tape and i will not reference that i was the first one to reference the nice guy syndrome but in terms of everything else basically go fuck yourself mm-hmm. and um and and that was the end of it that's typical american litigation culture but it's interesting because i picked it up of course i'm younger than you but i picked it up in the early 2000s and that was yeah, through it, the PUA the print, yeah print version came out in 2003 yeah and and I, I think my first encounter was through David Angelo if you're aware of him I, I actually did a interview podcast with David D'Angelo way back when so 
You probably heard me in his dating series. I have because I heard all his material. So you've been featured there. So maybe he got the nice guy thing from you because it was a big deal in his paradigm and his message. And basically, this has been a very popular theme throughout the PUA and life coach and dating advice milieu. I do understand that. Now, although there's some overlapping between those guys and your stuff, I mean, you have one foot in academia and one foot in in this coaching thing which is perfect if you ask me all right but uh, yeah i think i think maybe you have influenced them and angelo he made a very important point because so many people misunderstand he said no 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 you're not going to become bad boys you've got to become mm-hmm. good guys and he distinguishes between nice guy and good guy yeah. and i think we need to begin with the beginning for the people listening so i'd like you to indulge us and just define the nice guy well the nice guy the the quick overview is a man who internalized usually really early in life early childhood internalized inaccurately the belief that there's something wrong with them and the term usually that's used for that is called toxic shame i'm not I'm, i'm broken i'm defective i'm unlovable and and that's through inaccurately internalizing experiences they had as a child And then because of that, in order to try to get liked and loved and get their needs met, nice guys try to become what they think other people want them to be, and they hide anything about themselves that they think might get a negative reaction. And um, as you might imagine, this often makes nice guys, as my ex-wife said, makes us anything but nice because we can't be trusted, we're not authentic, there's too many surprises, we get resentments built up, we we get passive-aggressive, we have victim pukes. And so the the nice guy often is not nice. And and the distinction I make, and you know, there's no right term for it, um, whether it's a good guy, I call in the book integrated male, we could call an authentic man. Mm. Um, I mean, there's no there's no right term, but this is a person who is differentiated. He can ask himself, what do I want? Who am I? What's important to me? And then follow through on that. He has good boundaries. He can soothe his anxiety rather than trying to externally manage it by controlling people and situations. Um, he, he's living life on his terms. And, and that's way different. And you can trust that guy. You can depend on that guy. Mm. You may not like everything about him, but at least what you see is what you get. There's no surprises. And, um, and and that's the distinction that I make between the nice guy versus becoming an asshole jerk. Was I, I think actually the nice guy and asshole jerk are both operating in the same spectrum. They're both yeah. trying to repress their shame and manage their anxiety. They just do it. They're, they're both in the fight, flight, freeze mechanism. It's just the asshole jerk is fighting and the nice guy is fleeing and freezing and fawning in order to deal with his anxiety. Mm. So – Becoming just more one of the other isn't the answer. You have to become something. You have to make a second-order shift and become something completely different. Now, I say that, and what I tell nice guys is that you actually becoming an integrated male is not about you becoming a different person. It's not about you changing who you are. It's actually becoming more you. Mm. You don't have to hide you anymore. You don't have to become anything else. It's loving who you are and being that, you know, on full display, nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. You're you and people are going to like you or they won't like you. And either way, that's okay. Uh, I usually say the only thing worse than a bad boy 
is a nice guy pretending to be a bad boy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, that's messy. Yeah. That's messy because, yeah, th- the thing is we don't pull it off very well. Um, no. it, it's just one more chameleon shape to try to wear that it, we're, we're, not, we're not well practiced at it. Exactly, because uh, what people need to get is that the nice guy, actually, my experience is that he usually doesn't have that much self-insight. So if he's listening now, he will probably not recognize the list you're listing because it takes some self-insight. But if you are always kissing the ass of girls, if you are you know, offering to buy them a drink and giving them your attention, helping them, following them. Oh, let's step on my jacket, madam. And then at the end of the night, she goes home with the obvious douchebag. <laughs> then you're the nice guy. That's the litmus test. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty good way to put it out. I, I came across a term that was new to me just last week, and, and, uh-huh. and I felt thrilled to come across it. Um, and somehow I just... I'm not sure how it came up on my Google screen, but it's the term simp. And it is, right. it's now kind of the, the social media adolescent term uh, used to describe that guy, the nice guy. You know, he's kind of the adolescent nice guy that's trying to please women, gives them all their attention, buys them flowers, just like a puppy dog, following yeah. them around, trying to get their approval. And, and the, the term, is, I guess, is typically used in social media. It, it's a little bit derogatory. And, of course. Uh, the, the, oh, he's such a simp. You know, he's always yeah. trying, always trying to suck up to get that that girl's attention. Um, and and the the problem is, is, it sounds like you're pretty clear about this. And and I, as I discovered, this doesn't attract women. It doesn't turn women on. It doesn't make them feel safe. It doesn't make them want to be your girlfriend. You know, that's why so many nice guys complain about being put in the friend zone by women. And I tell these guys, women don't put you in the friend zone. You put you, yourself there. Yeah, exactly. And when I said. Uh, a nice guy trying to be a bad boy, that's when he realizes, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Then he looks at the guy who gets the girls and then he imitates it, but he's still being a nice guy. He's just being a very awkward and even more embarrassing nice guy because the girls have this radar. Yeah. Most girls have this radar. They bust our balls so easily. They can see right through us. They can smell the nice guy like a police dog can smell if you have weed on you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, here's and here's one of the reasons is, is that most of the men I work with are trying to manage their anxiety. They're, I mean, they're filled with anxiety, and so of course, approaching a woman that they're attracted to or that they desire just amps up their their anxiety states. And uh, unfortunately, well, this, I don't know if this is unfortunately, but uh, the truth is. Anxiety is contagious, and, and that's true in all pack animals, and we humans are tribe pack animals, mm. they, and that's the survival mechanism. If one person is startled, kind of like if a, if a bird on, on a line is startled, all the other birds startle. There's a, there's a startle response in right. all pack animals. Right. So anxiety is contagious for that reason. There's receptors in the human brain that pick up on anxiety states of other people. So while this guy is not, the nice guy is not himself, he's not authentic, trying to be something else, trying to make a good impression or trying to be a bad boy, it doesn't matter what he's trying to do. He's riddled with anxiety. And as you say, women have radar for this. And they're highly sensitive 
to anxiety states more so than we men are. They're, they're, it's just I think part of part of the evolution in DNA. Highly sensitive to anxiety states, and and that's the one reason why they tend to push away the nice guy. Now the nice guy just thinks, well, it's because I'm not good looking enough, or I'm not yeah. I'm not enough money, or I'm not enough of a bad boy. That's why they don't want to go out with me. No, the reason they don't want to go out with you is that when they're around you, they feel bad. They feel your anxiety states in their body. They may not even know why, and they may not even know what it is. They just know it doesn't feel good to be around you. And, um, and, and so a lot of the work I do with men, no matter what, not just around how to be with women, but is learning how, how to soothe their anxiety, to ground their anxiety, to move their anxiety, to own it, rather than trying to push it away or hide it. And then that, that actually then lets people uh, get close to us. Mm. It's a very good point. And I, I, I see there's a, like a primal component to this because, you know, when we were a tribal society, we had these, uh, I don't know what, what the term is, Passover rituals or something where the young man had to confront his fears in various ways. Sure. Some, some tribes have the most horrific, sadistic <laughs> kind of trials. But the thing is, he came out on the other side owning his anxiety. Yes. And that's gone today. And then, of course, the girl meets a bad boy and he doesn't give a damn about anything. So he relaxes in her presence. And, and that's what she picks up on, that he's being congruent and honest in all his, um, should I say, uh, unpleasantness. Well, let's take that a step further, because I, I agree with you about the masculine initiation is that most most men don't have it. Mm. You know, I, I didn't have it. And most men don't. And the whole purpose of masculine initiation was to move somebody from boyhood into manhood. Mm. And manhood is, is scary, is dangerous, it's, it's life-threatening. At least it was for tribal members, and maybe it still feels that way if we're not initiated. And as you said, the whole purpose of initiation was to help the little boy, with the help of the older men, learn to be able to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable, mm. put, put at risk, put in uncomfortable situations, put in frightening situations, and taught how to soothe himself and move through that to come out the other side. And once you've had that initiation, even if other things frighten you, which is normal, you at least know you can handle it. You know you've been there. You know you, know you survived it. You know you can handle what comes next. And, and again, as I said before, for most men— just talking to a woman we find attractive is going to feel like one of those life and death yeah. situations where we're tied down to a bed of red fire ants that are stinging our body. You know, how are we <laughs> going to survive that? So it feels that way. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Here, here's my theory about the bad boy and why women are attracted to it. In fact, it's, it's, it's the, the, the book I'm working on right now. And the concept I call, I call it positive emotional tension. Is that going to be the title of the book? It it may very well be the title. I, I I played with the idea one time calling it Shut Up and Fuck Me because once I, <laughs> once, I, once I learned how to create positive emotional tension with women, I heard that a lot. Um, right, right. My, my wife absolutely loves the term. Yeah. And so – but the, the, the concept is, is, is actually pretty simple but pretty complex for men. The concept is this. For a woman to be attracted to a man – sexually aroused by him and the desire to stay connected to him over time, she has to experience some form of emotional tension, mm. right? That, that she's got to feel something, basically. Mm. And she's got to feel something she wasn't feeling before she came into contact with this guy. Now, 
The problem is, is that men in general do not like emotional tension in their intimate relationships. Mm. We want everything smooth and calm and easy. In fact, even like our sporting events, you know, they all have a clock on them. We can only handle tension for so long. Then it's like, okay, that's enough. 90 minutes, we're done. That's all. No more, no more emotional mm. tension. Mm. Now, so that means we either never create emotional tension for the woman or we, we, ex- we try to extinguish whatever emotional tension the woman might be creating for us. Now, the premise of my book is that if men can be conscious, in fact, I call it a masculine initiation, if we men can be conscious of how to create what I call positive emotional tension, which is tension that is conscious, it feels good to everybody, it's playful, it's loving, it's open-hearted, it's, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of things to it. Like it, it involves anticipation and uncertainty, coming together and moving apart, uh, playful dominance and submission. The, those are all things that can create emotional tension. Mm. Now, the reason that the women tend to be attracted to the bad boy rather than the nice guy, the nice guy creates no emotional tension for them. Mm. You know, you know, listen to a woman talk actually lowers her emotional tension. Offering to help her sister move doesn't create any emotional tension. Buying her drinks doesn't impress her. But the bad boy creates emotional tension because he's unavailable. Like you said, he doesn't give a fuck. Mm. He might even be treating her bad. He, he might he might be a total asshole to her, but she feels something. And the thing that I try to tell men, that men have a hard time grasping, that for most women, especially women that are, they're, they're, we'll just say, relatively feminine in nature, that doesn't mean they can't be in their masculine or they're not CEO. Of course. But their emotional makeup, it would be identified as feminine, that they don't care if the emotional tension they feel is positive or negative. They got to feel anything. So like I, I told some guy yesterday, my first coaching session with him, his wife's wanting to, to leave him after 30 years. And he says, every time we go out to dinner, my wife starts a fight. And I said, well, it's prob- take that as an invitation that she wants a deeper connection with you. And, and he said, well, it's like we never end up having sex because she, you know, she starts a fight. And I go, that's probably just, you know, that's foreplay for her. She's building tension because you don't. And like I told him, for many women – that it feels the same to be led masterfully around a dance floor or to be throwing dishes in the sink because they're pissed off at, at, at their man. It, it, it doesn't matter. They just have to feel. And so the bad guy often triggers that kind of intense feelings for a woman. And then now, now there's a challenge of trying to, you know, to subdue him, to, to get him to be available, to get him to go treating her badly. All of that's emotional tension. Whereas the nice guy is, says, whatever you want to do, dear, do you want to do something yeah. tonight? And she, and there's no tension in that. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the nice guy, like you said, he goes straight into freeze. And just if we guys put ourselves in a girl's shoes, how are we supposed to be able to surrender to, to, to give ourselves up to this guy when he can't even handle me? As a woman, <laughs> you know, that's enough <laughs> you know, for him to freak out. And I have to say, this friend of yours, I mean, that's what we call shit tests, right? So you said, take it as an invitation. That's so right, because yeah. the, the coaches, they say, look, take these shit tests and turn them around. And I, I think the clue to extracting that little element that the bad guy have and apply it. It doesn't mean we're going to become psychopaths and douchebags. It just means we're going to learn to, in your words, Dan, relax in our own skin and be in control of the tension games. Because 
You said the girl, uh, if she has a choice, but I don't think this is even is a choice. It's like David Angelo used to say. He yeah, said, "Attraction is not a choice." Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's the rub. You know that women, if you ask them, all of them will say, "No, no, no. Of course, I want the guy with the flower. I want a nice guy. <laughs> I want a nice guy." Yeah. yeah. And, and then they were so confused because they go out with the asshole, so we think they're lying. Right. And they're, they're telling the truth. And that makes us resentful, and it makes us hate women. Yes, and that there's a whole well, there's there's many movements out there in the manosphere and the internet, you know, all around hating women because yeah. they're so mean to us men. Exactly, and that's why I'm saying that we can use this as a masculine initiation to grow us. I, I disagree with you know any number of writers out in the manosphere. I don't think women are out to get us. I don't think they're that well planned in general. I think they're just doing what they're wired to do. And because we men don't understand what women are wired to do, we, we, we think it's you know a personal attack on us to basically take advantage of us and take us for all we're worth. And I, I just don't I don't see that. But I get that that's a popular message. I totally agree. And your message here is so important because it's like in the 90s and the 2000s, it was a pendulum when men were becoming free. They were starting to get in on top of the dating game. And now the pendulum is swinging to the other side. And you talked about new terms. There's a new term out there called incel. Have you heard about that? Sure. Oh, yeah. Involuntary celibate. Exactly. And that's what you get when, when the pendulum swings. So I think this message is super important, this message that you have. Now, you offer, I saw your website, you offer courses to people, right? Yeah, I have an online university. Online university. And I also noticed that you you have podcasts. I, I've recorded uh, at least a couple hundred podcasts over the last several years. It started out mostly around dating. They, they were answering questions for my dating classes but they've expanded into uh, other subjects around recovery from the nice guy syndrome. So there's a yeah a variety of, you know, 20 to 30 minute, usually Q&A type question, answering questions. Right. So obviously you're a hands-on psychologist. You, you actually offer practical advices. And I'm assuming the people will get that in these two books too, right? Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you just a quick story. When, when I was writing No More Mr. Nice Guy, yeah, I come out of the therapy world. I have a PhD in marriage and family therapy. And so when, when I, I was writing Mr. No More Mr. Nice Guy, it took me about six to seven years to write it. I didn't set out to write a book. I was just writing chapters to give to the guys in, in my nice guy group. Mm. But, you know, they kept saying, Robert, you need to write a book. You need to go on Oprah. This could be a bestseller. Lots of men need this. So I kept writing. And then I sent it off to a professional editor um, just for review, and, and he sent it back, and he said, you're about halfway there. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I thought I was almost done. <laughs> and he said, you're about halfway there. And he said, number one, you have way too many illustrations. You know, just you need to cut a lot of those. So I, so I did, edited the hell out of the book. And he said, and the other thing is, you're telling people, so basically don't be a nice guy. So you, you have to tell them, all right, what, what's the other side of that? If they're not being a nice guy, what, what should they be? Mm. And and actually, that, that was actually a really, really wise observation that was probably a turning point in my life in many ways. Because I realized as a therapist, Typically, we're trained not to tell people what to do. You know, we help mm. them find their own answers, right? They have mm. their own wisdom to find their answers, which I, I believe there's truth to that. And 
realize, and he said a self-help book tells people how to do it different. <laughs> so that's where I came up with the integrated male model. Okay, let's tell them if they're not being a nice guy, what, what are we then striving to be? And that's where the breaking free activities also came from in the book. And I think there's like 40 something of those. Those came out of, okay, I'll tell people what to do. Now, even though I'm my, my background is in therapy, my training's therapy, looking back, I've always really been a lot more of a teacher and a coach mm. than than just a, a, a sit and be, I'm I'm actually a terrible listener. So you know, <laughs> to just sit and listen to people is not my strong suit. You can ask anybody that knows me. Mm. And I'm 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 kinda like I get impatient, like say, Hey, there's answers to this shit. Let's get after it. Mm. Let's, let's dive in. You don't have to keep wallowing around looking for answers if, if they're there in front of us. Let's do that. So I've actually been really a coach um, in, in, in my approach for a long, long time. Yeah, and that's uh, the sidecast today is, is with you on that. People don't want, you know, no nonsense, cut to the chase. We don't have time. So uh, I, I interpret your book uh, more, it's it's not like you're not going too much around the philosophy of things, but you're explaining it and you're also giving them tools, and that I think is very important because obviously people are free to choose and and reject whatever they want. They have to try it out. They have to individualize it. See what how much of this is true for me and how much of this works for me, and make it you know, mine, personal. So let's go to that step now. Okay. So if a nice guy is listening to this, and by the way, let me just read this list from your book here. Here are some of the traits of a, of a nice guy, dishonest, manipulative, controlling, self-centered and narcissistic. Uh, I, I guess it's tendency because full-blown narcissist tends to be bad boys. And passive. Well, well, let, let, let me throw in. Yeah. I, I had a, a woman therapist give me a term a few years back that I just thought was beautiful. And she referred to nice guys as shadow narcissists. Mm. Love it. Because if they were real narcissists, they wouldn't be nice guys. No, if they were real so, narcissists, they would be ex-president of the United States. <laughs> I think that would be most of the presidents of the United States. <laughs> Maybe most world leaders, you know. Yeah. So that's great. And, um, uh, just a few more bullet points before I give you back the ball here. Uh, no more Mr. Noiska teaches men how to set boundaries and handle conflict, live with purpose and passion, release toxic shame. You mentioned that. Very important. Soothe, because that's the deeper uh, layer behind uh, anxiety. Soothe anxiety. I, I've been a meditation coach. I can recommend that. Differentiate from fused emotional systems. Connect with men and build tribe. Very important because men who are threatened by other men are not integrated. They are still boys. That's true. Right? Amen. I hope. Yeah. Have satisfying relationships, experience great sex, live life on their terms, achieve success, and live up to their potential in work and career. And I wanted to read this because it shows people it's not just about getting women. This is much deeper. This is about a transformation, wouldn't you say? Well, it is. It is transformational. And just two observations about this. I, I was married when I wrote the book. In fact, I, the first 25 years of my adult life, I was married to two different women. But what, what was funny is that when I wrote Dating Essentials for Men, which that came well after I got divorced. I got divorced 20 years ago. And um, what was funny is that No More Mr. Nice Guy has always been in the top 10 of dating books on Amazon. 
mm. which just kind of blows me away because it has nothing to do with dating. But <laughs> the dating coaches out there like it because most of their clients are nice guys. Right. And so, you know, they recommend the book. So, um, so, so, so yeah, that, that's a, the interesting part about it. And then the transformational part is that I, um, I, I reread the book just a year or so ago because we were doing a little update on, on an Amazon. So I had to read the whole Moby file of it to make sure there were no errors. And as I was reading it again, you know, I, I wrote this thing. I finished writing it probably 23 years ago at least. And as I was reading it, what really hit me is that, you know, I've continued to work almost exclusively with men for the last, you know, 25 years. And it hit me that really this book anymore isn't just for nice guys. It, it really is for men in general because there really is no model out there for men of what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean mm. to be male? What, what does it mean to live life on your terms in, in this culture? And um, so I, I've really even just come to see that, that there's so much in there that isn't just for nice guys. I mean, you know, learning how to set boundaries, learning how to be honest, learning how to ask for what you want, learning how to surround yourself with people that want to help you get your needs met. That's just not nice guy stuff. So in a way, you're, you're, you're doing a Jordan Peterson. Because oh. that's what he's having great success with is just to, hey, guys, you're lost in this culture today, but there are stuff that you can do yes on your part i mean not everything is up to us ourselves i'm not that kind of like the more new age kind of self-help i mean there are bigger forces out there that can influence but to a certain extent we have some freedom to change our part of our life yeah of course we do and that's where this stuff comes in i i, I paused for a moment there because I, i i just love when I, i'm mentioned in the same sense with jordan peterson <laughs> okay um you know i i think he's fucking brilliant right. um so, so yeah, instead of being victimized, I, I don't love any kind of victim model where, you know, men are a victim to women, men are a victim to society. I, I'd rather say, no, let, let's go find out what it is that's missing. Let's go find tribe. Let's go get initiated. Let's go work on the things that are, are our power to work on and get past this, this image that we're being done to by anybody. I just don't see that serves men at all, uh, this whole victim mentality. And I think an empowerment mentality works a whole lot better. Yeah, I think I think a part of the problem is that nice guys, not just nice guys, by the way, uh, probably also bad boys and, and many other archetypes of males who hasn't gotten their shit together feel threatened by strong, independent and liberated women. Sure. And I think that's part of why they're attacking uh you know, apart from obvious injustice and stuff. But I, I noticed that you actually have written, you, you have a core, I saw something about you talking about strong women. Now, how can we not be intimidated by strong women? Well, it, that, I <laughs> I like this subject. You mentioned my podcast earlier. And, and like I said, I have a couple hundred of them on different subjects. And the number one best-selling podcast on my website is how to deal with strong and or controlling women. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's where I saw and, it. And, and, and sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference. Mm. And sometimes some really controlling women just say, I'm a strong woman when the truth is they're controlling as hell. Yeah. It has nothing to do with personal strength. Personal 
people who are personally strong don't have to control anybody or anything. Exactly. Yes. They just they take charge of of themselves and and their own life. Okay. So here's the deal. You mentioned pendulums swinging, and, and of course, anybody that's been around more than about twenty five years, or thir- at least thirty years, or thirty five, I don't know, past millennials, yep. um, has seen you know like my parents' age. Uh, my mother's still alive. She's 85. You know, the, the, you know, the dad ruled the roost, you know, the mom stayed home, cooked the meals, pleased her husband, raised the kids. And, and my mother, I think she, I'd call her a pre-feminist. She never espoused feminist values, but she taught her sons, my brother and I, to be good to women and to be able to take care of ourselves. My father couldn't boil water. You know, I can cook, I can sew. I learned to sewing a sewing machine i can do laundry you know, i can take care of myself and I'm, I'm i'm grateful to this day that my mother gave me those life skills right she also taught my two sisters to not be dependent on a man and and they both have uh our career women One, one's passed away but they had advanced degrees and so those are the strong women we're talking about now when it comes to relating to a strong woman, I, I because my mother was a strong woman, I'm attracted to strong women. Uh, my my wife Lupita is Mexican. She was eight out of ten kids born in a dirt poor family in in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, and uh, she had to learn to fight growing up. She had she had to fight her siblings and neighbors just to not get beat up regularly. Jeez. Uh, and and she's a tough woman. Hmm. Uh, she can out squat me in the gym. She she's done mai tai. Um, she can get anything done. But there's this beautiful, beautiful, open-hearted, feminine part of her that that just loves how I show up with consciousness and presence and have a plan. And I'm not always saying, "What do you want to do?" And she says, "I love it when you tell me no." We, when we go into a restaurant. Because we live in Mexico, and I'm, I'm obviously white, or they'd call me a gringo or a guero down here mm. in Mexico. And you know, they'll, they'll often ask her in Spanish if they should give me you know, an English menu, and she'll always say, "No, he's he's in Mexico. He can order in Spanish." And I'm, then I'll say in Spanish, "Give my family, my wife and kids, the English menus. They can practice." <laughs> and, and then then they'll hand her a menu, and then then she'll say, "No, he's my boss. He'll order for me." And I mean, mm. she can order for herself, but she likes saying that. And I always look at the waiter and say, yeah, I get to be the boss when she says I am. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's humor, it's playful. And, and she's a very, very strong woman. But she, and, and she's even told me, she says, I've, I've got big balls. I've, I've got huevos grandes. And she said, but I don't, and she even says, I know my balls are bigger than you are. Like I said, she grew up in a tough <laughs> environment. I, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle going to school with a bunch of Boeing engineers families, really, really white bread, yeah. you know, I've not had a tough life. And so she says, I, I know my balls are bigger than yours, but I don't want to ever feel like. You know, I I'm, I can dominate you or you're just going to be passive or just, you know, mm. uh, let, let me run the show. So she's a strong woman. And my mother's a strong woman. My 14-year-old my granddaughter's a strong woman. I, I love strong women. But here's the deal. A strong, most women don't want to run the show, especially in their intimate relationship. They, they, they don't want to come home from doing whatever they've done out in the masculine world and have to make every decision about the relationship. Mm. They tend to want to be able to relax and be led and done to and be loved on. And, and is, is, you know, not every woman fits that, but most women 
don't want to stay in charge of everything when it comes to the relationship. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the man dominating the woman. I'm talking about it, just having a plan, get the ball rolling. Mm. You know, everything, everything can be negotiated. Everything's reciprocal. But I've just found that a strong woman wants a guy with a backbone and balls. She wants a man that can match her strength. She, she doesn't want a guy she can walk on. My, you mentioned a few minutes ago, my, and my second wife, who was also very strong, used to say to me, because I, I was kind of you know passive around her when I was a nice guy, and she used to say, you know, if you, you can't stand up to me, how will I ever know you can stand up for me? Mm. And that stuck with me then, and it still sticks with me, that if a woman's going to feel safe, and want to open up and relax and be done to by her man, uh, she's got to feel safe. And she's got to know he's a strong, boundaried man that's got a sense of self. Yeah, I've experienced the same. Uh, like you, I'm an ex-nice guy. I mean, most of us are. Uh, although I was a bit lucky because I actually... Well, it's another story. So <laughs> okay. here's the thing. I noticed that... <laughs> Girls are, it, it's not that they necessarily want us to decide for them that makes them turn on by us uh, being decision makers. It's that they want to see the man being able to make decisions so he's going somewhere. Because one truism I'm convinced of is that the feminine nature is turned on by, is attracted to ambition. Sure. Which is a masculine trait, right? Sure. And ambition, guys, doesn't mean that you have to be a CEO on Wall Street, okay? You can be like a squatter and become the king of the squatters, <laughs> uh, an artist, you can be anything. But you have to be able to move in the world. David Data makes a huge point about this, that a core masculine value that a feminine polarized person will be attracted to is someone who's able to stake a course and move in that direction. Whether we're back in the tribe or we're living in this techno society. Yeah. And, and a, a man who's passive, a man who gives up, a man who goes into hysteria, a man who... Actually, I think many nice guys are controlled by their inner dark feminine side the animas Jung would say because I see very feminine traits in them like when they start manipulating gossiping taking down trying to take down the co no I don't like him With, because he's a withdrawing pouting gossiping exactly angry. yeah yeah and, isn't and, that feminine that's toxic femininity that's ruling the nice guy yeah, I call that the, the lower feminine. I actually have a diagram where I simply kind of lay out, kind of based on Data's model, uh, what I just call higher masculine and feminine and lower masculine and feminine. And the higher higher masculine is penetrating women and world with consciousness, open-heartedness, getting things done. Higher feminine is open to submitting to love and, and loves to be done too in beautiful ways. Lower feminine is is that feeling uh, victimized, feeling taking everything personally, feeling mm. done to and, and, and withdrawing and wanting the others to hurt as they hurt. Lower masculine is more that dominant, the the aggressive, the you know the the, the patriarchy that, that feminism wanted to throw out. Uh, but unfortunately, we threw out all masculinity when we threw out the patriarchy. So. When I do, when I share this diagram with men in, in groups, and then after we talk about it a little, a little while, I say, well, where do you guys think that the average nice guy tends to fall in these four quadrants of, of the higher or conscious, open-hearted masculine and feminine, or the lower, fearful, unconscious, closed masculine and feminine? And unanimously, guys always get it right. It's in that lower feminine quadrant, yeah. quadrant of feeling victimized, done to, taking everything personally, pouting, withdrawing – 
and and those I always say those traits are not attractive on a man. Those are not going to turn a woman on. It's going to make a woman feel like she's got a pouty little boy trailing around her. And you ask any woman if that's a turn on, and especially a (laughs) a strong woman, they're going to say, no way in hell. Get get, get away from here. They don't want that. But uh, at the same time, People shouldn't misunderstand, and you try to make this clear uh, in in something you said earlier, and that's that a strong woman isn't a man-hating screamer. Okay, if you meet like this, you know this pink-haired uh, ballbuster <laughs> who's she's, she's 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 <laughs> over, yeah she's overcompensating. It's just the same with men as with women. Someone that really is in charge is in charge of themselves. They don't feel threatened by other strong people, whether men or women. And they are relaxed even in the presence of these strong other people. But someone who is not will immediately feel it is a threat. It's a competition. And they will try to undermine the other one, whether it's a man or a woman. And you mentioned the manosphere. Now, I see... Uh, equivalent because everybody knows about these extreme uh, I don't what, what do they call them new feminists something like that everybody uh, knows so, uh, social justice warriors or is there, is there another term you're looking for yeah kind of but everybody knows about them but the the thing is they don't see the mirror that the equivalence to this is these magto guys these guys who hate women and uh, I'm giving up on women and I don't want to have anything to do with women they are kind of just the same only in the masculine version and i think both of those are are detours for the human culture to move forward we have to be able to meet again man and women Uh, in the middle i agree and i agree with you and 100 percent and that's one reason the internet is amazing but there's a lot of stuff i don't love about the internet and one is is the way it can spread hate and conspiracy theories and victimization stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and for example, you know, the incels and MGTOW, um, you know, th- this is, is guys that have just never been initiated, that have never been taught. Here's how you penetrate women and world. Here's how, you know, you, you get up and get your meet, needs met. This is how you interact powerfully. And so many of those men, I, the, the term I use is that they're hanging out in the nursery. They they stay where it's <laughs> safe and it's easy. There's no demands on them. Kind of a Peter Panish. I don't want to grow up. Yeah, playing computer games all the time. That's a turn exactly, off for playing, women. Playing computer games, yeah. you know, surfing internet porn and jerking off, smoking yeah. dope, watching television, maybe hanging out with women where there's no sexual polarity between them. Just, you know, just there's nothing that challenges these men. And, and as you said a little bit earlier, kind of referencing uh, David Data, is that a feminine creature is going to be attracted to a masculine creature who's, who's, the way I put it, who knows where he's going and having a good time getting there. Right. Um, that's a big turn on to the feminine. So all these guys that maybe they've primarily been raised by their mothers or they had nice guy fathers or their fathers were absent or they grew up on the Internet and never had to be challenged. 
Um, you know, they, they've never been initiated in, into adult masculine, which again, as I said before, is scary. Dealing with women is scary for us men. We don't understand them. Women will ask me questions when they find out I teach men about, to date and about relationships, and they want to know what I teach men. And but then they'll ask me questions. They'll say, like, well, why, why will a guy, like, just keep looking at me from across the room and, like, never approach, even though I smile at him? And, you know, you give him open body language. And I go, well, because you scare him. And they go, why is that? And I go, because you're scary. It's we men have just never been taught to understand how to deal with just a feminine life force. And, you know, everything that's not nailed down in the cosmos is feminine. Uh, money, adventure, opportunity, uh, everything is feminine if it's, if it's moving and not nailed down. And, and we, we men have not been taught how to be grounded, how to be constant, how, how to welcome that kind of energy into our lives. And so what happens is uh, they go into the manosphere, they go into MGTOW, they go into incel, maybe go to red pill. You know, they go find these things that, that, that give them some explanation and some excuse for not having to challenge themselves and get out, out of the nursery. Yeah. But I, w- I will add for the sake of fairness that obviously there are certain injustices uh, which are harming men, just as there are certain injustices harming women. There are, and, there are indeed. And right? I have no argument with that whatsoever. Hmm. But if if men, like I say, here's the, the what I don't like about the echo chamber of the internet and social media, is that if a man just keeps seeing the same thing over and over again about how mean women are, or, you know, how bad his life is or how uh, the injustice he's had to deal with. There's no way out of that. There's just no escape from that. Mm. And the thing that, that I tell I, I primarily work with men nowadays. And one thing I tell men, but this applies to everybody, you can be victimized without being a victim. Uh, you can have things yeah. done to you without you going into a victim mentality that, oh, no, poor me. Mm. And and that's not to minimize things that happen to people, either people doing things to other people or or just, you know, the nature of this world. You know, COVID is victimizing us, but that doesn't mean we have to be victims. Mm, and mm. and so going into that victim mentality just gives no way out other than to it deeper, deeper, deeper into bitterness and helplessness. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, if you try to understand how this culture could be so screwed up and we look back, we see that the boomer generation was also the generation of 68, the hippies, right? They took, that's a very social experimental culture that came out of that. And at the same time, there was this women liberation movement. Uh, of course, that started even earlier, but it really took off then. And I don't think it's coincidental that the big problems really started with the children of... Okay of these people. So I guess it started with Generation X and got even worse in millennials. Do you have any reflections around how it could get so out of hand? Well, I'm kind of, in a sense, in, in the in the middle of, of, of your description. I, I was tail end uh, the baby boomers. I, I, I would be considered a boomer. I'm 65. 
Uh, I'm I'm now on uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Medicare plan. <laughs> I mean, mm. man, how did I get to be that old? And my <laughs> son is 35, so he'd be he'd be considered um, a millennial. I, I'm pretty sure that's the category because he grew up with the internet. Right. Um, well, Generation X was around when it came. Yeah, but uh, it there's a transition there. He's either early millennial or late X. Not sure. And and you know, if if I had to point to one thing that that I thought made a big well, probably a couple things. One is that in my parents' generation, gender roles were were, were pretty set. There was no real confusion there. And, you know, for good or for bad. I'm not saying that's how we should be. Mm. But then along came, you know, the you know, both the Vietnam War and men being told to get in touch with their, their feminine side and, and the feminism coming along and women being told that, that they don't have a career, they can't be fulfilled. You know, being a stay-at-home mom was, was you know, abusive to them, dismissive. So all of, everything got scrambled, right? Everything got scrambled. Mm. And um, I don't think we've unscrambled it yet. Um and, you know, I, I think we've gone to a complete other extreme that now little children are taught that there are as many genders as there are people on the planet. Oh, my God. And yeah. I think that I think that just confuses little kids. Um, and it's when, crazy. When I, when I was going to graduate school in the 80s, my teachers taught that, that gender is not inherited trait. It is, com- is purely a social construct imposed on society on, on little boys and little girls. W- whereas I do agree that gender is very fluid. There's actually there's no evidence to the fact that that is a social construct only. I, I think girls do tend to develop in certain predictable ways. Boys do tend to develop in certain predictable ways. There are exceptions to every rule, but the exceptions don't negate the rule. Now, I don't I don't want to let's cram you know you're a girl we're going to cram you into this role. You're a boy we're going to cram you into this role. But I, I think that's one of the things that's created a, a great amount of confusion is that we went away from some clarity around gender roles to complete unclarity mm. and i'm actually pretty excited about about teaching that is now more available you know you mentioned david data and there's, there's men and women both beginning to teach uh an idea around masculine and feminine that doesn't lock anybody into a box and and recognizes the masculine and feminine side that we all have and given us more choice of how, how we want to live from our masculine side and our feminine side. So I th- I'm, I'm really excited about where we're moving in that. Now, the other piece that I just come on, coming off the top of my head to your question is that I think my generation raising kids and, and maybe even the generation a little bit older than me, the kind of the, 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 the early baby boomers, um, you know, at least in the United States, that's where I mainly can speak of. You know, there was there was an economic prosperity that began in the 50s, boomed in the 60s and 70s, and often partly dual-income families, partly because the government helped create a middle class. And um, education was available. And what I think a lot of parents did is they just gave their kids everything. Mm. And my dad, you know, had to work when he was 14. I didn't. I had a part-time job. But how many adolescents or young adults nowadays have part-time jobs? Well, for once, there is no jobs anymore. That's part of the problem. (laughs) I mean, COVID didn't make it better. But yeah, it's a cultural thing too, of course, yeah. 
And it is. So, you know, you asked what, what I thought part of the issue was, is that like I look at millennials, again, my son's generation. Now, he, he might be a little bit of exception. He, he went in the military. He's got a master's degree. He owns his own company. He's a custodial parent of, of his daughter, my granddaughter. But, you know, again, a lot of millennials, I see this in my business, want everything to be free. They grew mm. up stealing everything. They stole music off Napster. They, you know, they 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 steal porn. They steal videos. They and and these think because of internet digital culture, they're entitled to have whatever they want without it, it costing them anything. So they know where all the websites are to go get the books, the videos, the music, everything. And and that's just part of the mindset that if it's on the internet, it should be free. You're right, but I have to say. <clears throat> There is also a material component to it because back in the day, before this, uh, you could have one job. A family could have a woman staying home, a man working, and he wouldn't just earn enough to feed the whole family. He would even be able to save up. And, you know, jobs meant something. Salaries yes. meant something. Now it's yes. now you need a family has three jobs and they're still not making ends meet. So that's also part of the component. It's not just no, bad psychology. No argument with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no argument with that. Okay. Economically, things are very different. Is a, a couple living together, there almost is the expectation that, that both of them yeah. will work. Yeah. If, and if they have children, the, the children will be in daycare. Mm. That's just pretty much the expectation. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. But I take issue with one thing, and that's gender. Okay. Because in my book, and I don't care, I get hate for this, but I have to be honest, and that is that gender, it has a psychological component, yes, but it's based on a biological and mathematical reality. And there is just four genders. First is the most common genders, which is male and female. Then there's what you in English call hermaphrodite, which is both genders. Mm. There are babies being born with both um, sex uh, body parts. Yeah. And then there's neuter, which is no gender. And and you have the same, uh, actually in sexuality, you have uh, heterosexuals, you have uh, bisexuals, uh, you have uh, homosexuals, and you have asexuals. Right. So this is a mathematical and a biological reality. And then it has the psychological component. And I'm pretty sure that like, if a child is born with both a vagina and a penis, obviously, psychologically, that child may identify more with one of the genders than the other. And for the doctor to just decide on the spot is pretty heavy because if he chops off the dick and the guy grows up believing he's a man, then Houston, we have a problem, right? <laughs> so, so I can get that. But when they are this new regime now where they are brain and now we're detouring. So we'll, we'll soon get back to on track, but I just have to say this okay. because it's scary to me that children are learning in our schools now. I just got a mother 
who's super liberal person. She likes buy into all this liberal stuff and she is reacting against her children uh, being told that there is no gender and whatever you identify with. How are we supposed to let children make those? Because children are pre-pubertal, right? So yeah. the gender thing hasn't bloomed in them yet. They are much more similar, although there are certain psychological differences from biological reasons in children. But in their conscious mind, it's, yeah, you said Confucian, and I, I, I fear that can actually influence them in, you know, in sexuality and many other traits that will manifest when they get older. Yeah. But that's just my pet peeve in this discussion. I don't know if you agree, but that's my well, attitude. Well, just to kind of expand it, I think there are a lot of things that, that influence what we might call gender beyond just body parts. I think there is there's a difference between what would be called a male brain and a female brain. They're, right. they're different size. They're built exactly. differently. They're wired differently. Yeah. Hormones affect, uh, you know, the, the, there's masculine hormones, there's feminine hormones. A lot of things do go in. And that's where I, where I, I agree to a point that gender manifestation or gender roles especially can be somewhat fluid. But typically how we identify within ourselves is I don't think it is so fluid. You know, I, I think most people identify, well, I'm either heterosexual or I'm homosexual. Mm. I don't think that's particularly fluid in most people, I think. No, it's, you it's, don't have to teach um, people who they're attracted to, if you see what I mean. Yeah. They discover it, right? Yeah, we discover it. And mm. so... When to, to dismiss everything about gender to say it doesn't exist, I think that is harmful. Mm. I think to lock people into ge specific gender roles because of their physical genitalia, that's harmful as well. Mm. And, and I, I do like that a, a boy or a girl can grow up to be whatever. I, I like that idea. When, like I said, when I was in graduate school in the 80s and I heard my teachers say that you know, gender didn't exist, uh, it was just a social construct, I remember I, 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 my son was born in 1985 and I bought him a Cabbage Patch doll. And, you know, it's just gave him a doll to play with. And as he grew up, you know, he had no interest in it whatsoever. Right. He liked balls and trucks. And we, I, we, we gave him all types of things to play with. He liked balls and trucks. The first words he learned to say were balls and truck. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, I tried to raise him, just giving him choices. And like I said, this guy got out of high school and went into the Marines and went to Fallujah in Iraq. Mm. And uh, he's a smart Strong kid. He was an AAU weightlifting champion, national weightlifting champion in the U.S. when he was 15 years old. Wow. Um, he was a star athlete in high school. And he is just the most tender, loving father that you could ever imagine. And so, so he has integrated his positive feminine side too. He's integrated many things well, but if you go hang around my son, you know he's masculine. Mm. You know, there, there, there is no doubt about it. If I've always said if I was ever going to be in a bar fight – I'd want my son on one side and me and my wife on the other side. <laughs> yeah. um, they're, they're both tough people who know how to fight and, um, and they're both left-handed. So that, that's, a, that's oh, a, you know, they, same they'll, here. they'll catch anybody by surprise. So, so I believe in gender. I don't believe in locking people into concrete gender roles, but I don't think it's helpful to, to dismiss that gender exists and that we tend to identify with one more than the other. I, I don't think that serves us.
Mm. Well, <clears throat> what you said is super important that there are many components like hormones, like the brain, like just the body anatomy, but there's also the psychological component and Jung Of course, of course. Jung introduced anima and animus, right? And I think I think the problem in many males and females is that um and in this discussion the nice guy that they are ruled they are terrorized by their inner feminine and they're the screwed up anima they have a screwed up anima that's controlling them and in the equivalent for women is that they have a screwed up animus who is controlling them and then you get the screaming ball busting overcompensating feminist and you get the poisonous passive aggressive Woe is me, friend zone, nice guy. And so, yeah. yeah, so that's the psychological component. But that brings me to another matter that is very important. And I, I've never heard anyone discuss this. I'd really like your take on it. Okay. And that's to do with culture, because we are talking nature, nurture here, uh, biology or culture. But if you look at, for example, if you rewind 100 years, 150 years in, in Europe, uh, and I guess in America, then you see that the culture, and, and by the way, this is part of the problem of why your generation had so clueless, there were no tips and tricks around because you inherited and other cultures ideals of how to relate to the genders. Look at the old Hollywood movies, mm -hmm. go back to the romantic period, you know, Casanova, Don Juan, the attractive guys back then are portrayed as something completely different than today. And culture isn't just temporal for time, it's also geography. So if you go to India, for example, I know a lot of Indian girls, and it's so fascinating because they seem to be operating in a sphere very similar to where we were like a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder, if a man does all these things that you and David Data, David DeAngelo say, and they become integrated and, you know, rooted in a masculinity. Will they be attractive everywhere? Will they also be the male ideal in, for example, India? Or is the culture kind of interfering here? You see what I'm getting at? Uh, yeah, I get it. I love the question. And um, I, I'm not cross-cultural enough to give a definitive answer, I can just give from my own limited experience. I've addressed that issue in my Dating Essentials for Men programs where, where you know, I basically, pre, you know, this is pre-COVID that when I developed this, I teach guys to be a social animal, to, to get out in the public, to, 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 to be social, to, to initiate conversations with people in general, to develop a certain skill set that I teach them so that they just feel comfortable. So when they walk into a room, you know, they're comfortable. And, and then the feminine is, is drawn to that comfortableness. Mm. Now, with COVID, that's, it's gotten a lot harder to do. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully that will come and go uh, in the near future. But guys will, will write me and they'll say, well, Robert, in my culture, you know, I, I live in Qatar or I, I live in Turkey, in China. You know, you don't do those things in our country. Mm. And, and I don't know that I that – I, in fact, I usually will challenge the guys who tell me that. And I said, I understand social constructs and I, I understand social customs. But it's too easy to use that as an excuse, because what I know is that as an American, as a white American male, you know, growing up in that culture, 
once I, I under, came to understand the concepts I was talking about earlier around positive emotional tension, once I became differentiated and comfortable in my own skin and le- living life in my terms, I was surprised how amazingly attractive I became when I got divorced in my late 40s and started dating. It was I had no problems dating. Mm. Well, I mean, women were, were coming on to me. They were, they, were, they were initiating sex and propositioning me. Okay, then I start spending time in Mexico. And the same thing has been true down here. My my uh, let, jealous Latina wife is always pointing out women that are trying to get my attention. And that's not just down here in Mexico. That's when she travels with me in America as well. I, I was in uh, Europe two years ago, spent uh, a week in Amsterdam. And I had women coming on to me there without me doing anything to try to make anything happen. I'm married. I don't try to get women's attention and yet they were still paying attention to me and Amsterdam is I think maybe as much as any city pretty pretty equal city you know between men and women uh, and very libertarian culture and, and and you know women were giving me phone numbers there women were asking well how when are you heading home how much longer are you going to be here you know I told one woman I was in a coffee shop that she saw me every morning I said well I'm actually heading out tomorrow her look of disappointment was just and she's probably only 25 years old and and so my experience is when it comes to we'll go back to masculine and feminine and, and when it comes when it comes to polarity whatever we call the terms whether it's yin and yang you know jung's terms masculine feminine doesn't matter what we call it i think there is a polarity that is created when a man uh, emanates a higher masculine a conscious masculine an open-hearted you know passionate purposeful masculine and i tell guys you will attract all things feminine you know, that, that's not just women. You'll track money, opportunity, adventure, dogs, cats, babies. Everywhere I go, <laughs> dogs and cats are drawn to me. Dogs come and sit at my feet that don't even know me. And so it, there is something. And, and I'm, I'm not saying, oh, look at me, look at me. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not all that great looking. I'm not in all that great shape. I'm not rich. No, it's in your aura. It's, it, it's, they, an, they energy. Respond to, it's an energy yeah, state. It's, energy. it's an aura state. Yeah. So my belief is that those energy aura states are part of the human condition that are consistent across culture. They may get manifested differently, played out differently, but I think polarity is polarity. And I, I think feminine creatures are going to be attracted to, to masculine polarity and masculine creatures are going to be attracted to feminine polarity. And I think when people get comfortable with that and you know one of the examples I, I give to men I work with is I say go watch Mick Jagger. Go watch concert film of Mick Jagger. Go, go watch Martin Scorsese's movie that he put out uh, about the Rolling Stones. Because when I was growing up, I thought, oh, why do women like Mick Jagger? He's ugly. He's this. He's gross. But as an adult male... <laughs> big one, lips. Big lips. He's, yeah, he's homely. When I, you know, he, he, he walks funny, blah, blah, blah. But when I got to being an adult and understood positive emotional tension and masculine and feminine polarity. If you watch him, he is a man that emanates raw masculinity, you know, street fighter man under my thumb, sympathy for the devil and a femininity. I mean, he does ballet. He does yoga. He walks like a supermodel. He dances like, you know, you know, he he strips his clothes off like a stripper Mm. and, and he's integrated that masculine feminine energy beautifully and you know you watch the concert scenes and women of all age 
15-year-old girls up to, you know, women in their 60s are <laughs> screaming and going crazy about Mick Jagger. And, and so to, to, to try to pull that together to answer your question, I think there are energy states that are going to be attractive no matter where you are. Yeah. No, I think you're right. But I, I think the examples you used were bad, but still you're right. Because let's face it, Mexico is very permeated with macho culture. Oh, it is. It, there's no right, about and and that would tend to make those things even more effective down there. But if you look at countries like Sri Lanka, like probably uh, I don't know Japan, maybe no, that may be more ma masculine. But China or or Nigeria or something like that, you will find traits of the old culture uh, for us. I mean, here in the West, like back in Rome, look at Bollywood, man. Oh, my God. The <laughs> oh, male ideal in Bollywood is anything but what we are preaching. And still, I think you're right. I think a man who deals with his anxiety, it's just, it's tribal. It's, it's primitive. It's basic. It, it permeates all cultures. It goes straight back to that innate polarity we all have. I, I, I do agree with that. So, okay. So let's move on then. Um, all right. I want to rewind to the nice guy again. Could you say that, that nice guys have tendencies to be, overrepresented in some kind of jobs for example um that's possible i haven't really given that much thought um one thing that i know is that nice guys do tend to be uh, attracted towards helping type professions um mm. I, I i had a guy in in one of my i have a virtual workshop that just wrapped up after seven weeks the other night and the, the guy, one guy in there, and he's, he's probably in his 50s, asked the question. He said, well, when is it a bad thing to, like, do nice things for a woman that I like? He said, I, I like to help. I like to give. And probably many of us do. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that if it's not part of a, what I call a covert contract where we're giving to get. That, oh, if I give this to you, you'll love me and appreciate me. But I, I think that is a fairly typical dynamic for many nice guys. We, we'd like to help. We like to give. I do. Mm. I like to help. I like to give. And that, that's not inherently flawed, but it, it, it can be toxic. So I think you might find, I mean, I was, I was a minister for eight years, so I was drawn into a helping profession around that. I became a therapist. You know, that's a helping profession. Every, pretty much everything I still do is helping people, you know, educating them, helping them get what they want in their life. So I, I think if you uh, look at various helping professions, you will tend to see nice guys maybe uh, fairly represented there. Mm. Uh, and uh, isn't it isn't it a truism that bad guys, psychopaths, narcissists usually end up in the power uh, jobs? Well, there's probably truth to that. It's not something I've studied. But for example, I've wondered what would make a person want to be like uh, the president of a country or what would make a person <laughs> want to. Well, and, you know, I, I only speak of, you know, pretty much American politics. Uh, what would make a person even want to be a U.S. senator or a representative? I'm thinking that's got to be pure ego, narcissism do whatever it takes, power hungry. What would make a person want to be a CEO of a company? Now, mm. I know there are good CEOs out there. There's, there's some excellent CEOs that run their companies well. They, they provide shareholder return. They're a good place for their employees to work. Um, 
But in general, why would somebody aspire to that? Now, that's that's different to me than like you start your own company and you grow it. Yeah, of course. It, it, yeah. it expands. And but so, yeah, I, I think there probably is, like I said, it's not something I've studied or even thought a lot about. But I, I think there is a very big possibility is that that people that don't attach well to people often go look for positions to where they can dominate people mm. and and not feel i mean they feel no remorse i mm. think if you look at a lot of politicians wh- whether you're looking at the uk the united states or or, or russia right now you have politicians that, that pretty much think rules don't apply to them mm. they, they can just do it any way they want and and they're they're like surprised when people say wait a minute <laughs> that's illegal but they have no qualms at doing that Mm. And and so, yeah, I think it's not too hard to, to look to find examples of that sort of sociopathic, narcissistic type behavior. Mm. Well, it's just that they, I find it interesting that people who are like types kind of be overrepresented. Like, for example, you could just as well ask who wants to become a uh, prison ward right <laughs> for example <laughs> yeah i spy her to that Listen, i want to be prison <laughs> right. warden someday so, so uh but the helping component is actually a healthy thing i think the difference is that the nice guy pretends he want to help because he's learned that that will give him something so it's not a real helping position it's it's like I do this and then I expect this result. I don't get this result and then I get angry. And and that's a dynamic or with women, but it can actually be a dynamic across the board in social life, in work life, sure. uh, in many ways. I've seen it too. Uh, so it's not just true in, in terms of how we relate to women, but that's where the rub is in this case and where it becomes very obvious. And so I think if you can take that need to that mission of wanting to better the world uh, and help others if from a genuine place then it should be with no strings attached it should be without expectations if you're really generous you won't long to get your airs tickled with gratitude right so yeah. but that brings us to a more practical um, areas. If you could, uh, like, let me <laughs> let's do a lightning round. Uh, for example, I know you teach people how to avoid getting friend zoned. Do you have some practical tips for that? Yeah, yeah. Don't don't go in the friend zone. You know what? Here's what I tell men primarily about that: is don't repress your sexual agenda. Men talk to women. Men approach women. When men have conversations with women for one reason. We hope to see them naked. That's that's the reason. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm talking about outside the business world or, sure, sure. or family world. I'm talking about st- you approach a strange woman because you want to see her naked. And she knows that. She Women know why we men talk to mm. them. And and maybe they, they like the, the idea that they might get naked with us because, you know, they do. But they choose which the person that is. That's great. But – a lot of men that end up in the friend zone repress their sexual agenda. They hide it from themselves, mm. not not only the woman. So they engage with the woman as a friend. Let me help you. Let me do something for you. Let me listen to you talk about your problems. And I tell men that there there's a direct inverse relationship to the amount of time a woman, a man spends listening to a woman talk about her problems and the likelihood that she's going to sleep with him. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, you know, she, you just become a girlfriend with a penis, and you know, because you just you look like a girlfriend. You're sitting there being empathetic with her. Um, and so, when men hide their sexual agenda, now again, most nice guys say, "Well, that'll make me like the bad guys if if I'm talking to her just because I like her tits or I like her butt." And I go, "She already knows that. She already mm-hmm. knows that, and she's mm-hmm. probably not offended by the fact that you're physically attracted to her." So that's the quickest reason to end up in the friend zone. Yeah, that's why she spent three hours getting a push-up uh, bra and lipstick. And, you know, why would she do that if she didn't want attention, right? Well, you know. <laughs> but she wants it from the right man. It's part of the feminine to, to be externally validated yeah. and usually through attention or being desired. And, and again, that's a generalization, but, but it's typically true for the feminine. And so, but yeah, she, that, that doesn't mean she wants to talk to every guy that approaches her. In fact, she, she probably probably doesn't. No. Um, and that's why I don't teach approach to men. I don't, I don't, ah. pre, I don't teach just walking up to a total stranger because you like her butt. Right. Uh, I think that's probably the worst reason to approach a woman right. like her having a nice butt makes her good relationship material. I, I ask guys, would you hire your car mechanic or your attorney or your accountant based on their butt? But yet we think <laughs> getting into a relationship with somebody, I love Hey, it. I like her tits. You yeah, know, yeah. I think she'll be a good girlfriend. You know, I like her tits. Yeah. So, so, so on one hand, yes, recognize the fact that we do, as men, sexually objectify women and their body parts. Um, try to rise a little bit above that, at least, to where that's not the only reason we're interacting with them. But don't hide that either. Don't repress it. Don't, don't pretend like it's not there. And, and I think that you, men will have a lot better results of staying out of the friend zone. Yeah. Yeah, own up to it. Be congruent. What about, uh, you mentioned your friend uh, on the dinner, uh, his wife was always fighting with him, obviously not recognizing she's giving him shit test after shit test. And mm-hmm. I mean, Einstein is attributed to this saying, and I think girls should take as much heed of this as nice guys. And that's, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, that's the definition of madness. Yeah, I don't know if he actually said it, but... It is a truism, and girls, you you give shit test after shit test after shit test in the hope that he will get it. And guys, <laughs> you take the shit test after shit test after shit test, and you never get it. So, enter Robert now, and please, Robert, how should we deal with shit tests? Well, I I agree, and the term does come out of the pickup community, and and it's one of the terms actually I like because. It's not because a woman is wanting to be shitty in her behavior. She's wanting to see if a man has his shit together, which is kind of supports what you and I have been talking about, that there's a certain feminine need to be protected and, and provided for that goes back to tribal times. Now, a woman may have a great job and a degree, but she still wants to feel safe. She doesn't want to feel like she's the strongest person in the room. And so unconsciously, I, I, I don't think they go to girls' school to learn how to do this. I think it's part of just DNA, is, is they have to test, are you man enough to be my man? There's kind of a Sheryl Crow song about that, are you man enough to be my man? Mm. And so I tell men, I, I, I tell men, do make a distinction between shit test and mean or bad behavior. Uh, a, a, a woman that fucks your best friend, that's not a shit test. All right, that's bad behavior. Mm. You know, a woman that that calls you name and names and dresses you down in public, that's not a shit test. That's bad behavior. That's what you walk away from. You don't you pass that test by walking away from it and not going back to it. But they're little tests like, you know, 
showing up late, being a little argumentative, kind of pushing on your boundaries just a little bit. My 14-year-old granddaughter is great, great at, at just those little kind of shit tests. And she always loves it when I just smile at her and hold firm with the boundary. And so that's really what what the feminine is wanting is the masculine container, the boundary, the, con- the consistency, the certainty, so that it can push against it and, and it doesn't move. Now, there's no right way to manage a shit test, but if a man is anxious and wanting a woman's approval, he will fail it every single time. Yeah. I mean, he'll just he'll he'll get he'll get pulled down into that rabbit hole and and never come out. Now, usually, I found in dealing with women's shit tests. Just kind of being playful and humorous and lovingly dominant is, is often all that's required. But as soon as a man starts defending himself or trying to fix a situation, man, he's, he's lost it. And the woman's disappointed. Uh, the, the women want us to pass their shit test. They, they want to feel that, that strength. Um, I, I give guys the example that, um, that it's kind of like you know, the, the woman is the damsel in the castle. And outside the castle are the marauding hordes that are coming to rape and pillage and burn. <laughs> and, and her castle is her protection. It, it's, it's the container that now she's got to know where the weak places or the vulnerabilities are in that castle. So she's got to take a broomstick and go around inside poking you know, every window, every door, every joist, the, the mortar. She's got to see, is there a weak spot? Is there a gap here? Is there a place where you know they can get in and I'm vulnerable? And so she's got to poke at that to see how weak it is. She's got to know. Where are the Mm. vulnerabilities? Mm. And women do that to us men. If they find we've got a soft spot, a weak spot, a vulnerability, they will poke at it. Mm. And and it's not because they're trying – well, some are doing it because they're mean. But the majority of them are just doing it because it's instinctual. How weak is – Hang on, hang on. Wouldn't you say it's – yeah, instinctual. So it's unconscious in most women, right? It's it's mostly unconscious. Now, Mm. I I have had women tell me – you know, I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And women revealed to me a lot of things. Mm. And I've had women say, yeah, I start a fight with my man because I'm bored. I start a fight (laughs) because I want to get a reaction out of him. Mm. You know, so that's conscious. Mm. But I think a lot of it's unconscious that, again, is is that – if they feel our anxiety, if they feel our vulnerability, if they see we don't follow through on what we say, if they see those things, they're going to go poke at them and and see, you know, they, in their unconscious mind, it's like, well, if I poke at it, I'll know, you know, how vulnerable I am. And maybe by poking at it, it you know, the, the man will shape up and get stronger. Unfortunately, most men respond to that kind of poking by, by getting pissed off, by, yeah. by getting our feelings hurt, yeah. by withdrawing. And so I I do tell women that there are often more effective ways to get what they want than poking at a man's vulnerabilities. Um, But but I found that most women have to be trained that and they tend to forget it quickly. Mm -hmm. But there is... um uh, I mean, there are different advices for how to deal with it. And one principle is to kind of, it's a Tai Chi move, if you know Tai Chi. Sure. You take that energy and you mirror it back to her by doubling down, but not by aggression, not serious. Like you take out the seriousness and you do it with humor, for example. That works. So she says something about you. And then you admit to it only much, much worse in a cartoonish kind of way. 
That works. So, for example, uh, let's say there's an age gap. I'm just taking this from the top of my head. They're, oh, so you're into young girls. Yeah, you know, I've been struggling with pedophilia my whole life. Maybe that's not funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> not today. That's what I would say. I'd say one of the things I discovered yeah. as I got older is that every year I got older, there were a lot more women younger than me. Right. And say, I can't help it. Young women are just turned on by old guys that have good genetics. Right. You know, so yeah, you can play with it. You can, yeah. you can play, with, play it. with it. Yeah, probably leave pedophilia out of most of the Yeah, that, that's <laughs> a place we don't want to be too much in today. But the thing is, you say something outrageous, but you have to do it with glimmer in your eye, right? Yeah, with a smile and, and, and kind of with frame. I, I took salsa lessons for a few years where, you know, when the woman starts challenging your lead you got to get your frame you get a little stronger a little more erect a little better posture you know a little, a little more love in your eyes and 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 just lead for, from there so yeah they're calling for us to you know get a little more frame about us get a little more playful and to show that that stuff's just gonna kind of bounce off our chest like bullets off of superman yeah that it's not gonna wound us it's not gonna make us cripple or powder withdraw and that, that's the thing that that's that is the thing i've said this already that is the thing for most women that just is it just turns them off the most is when when they can cripple us right and and we just you know, we crumble and break and you know, get sad-eyed again uh, that doesn't turn them on or make them want to come back for more no Limiting beliefs. Uh, what is it and how to overcome it? Well, that's the story of life, probably. Um, I, I talk in, in the Dating Essentials for Men book. I say in the book that, that it really isn't a dating book. I say, but I'm using men's desire to connect, to have connection, to have, have a woman, to have a girlfriend, have a wife, whatever, have a sexual partner. I'm using that to help expand their emotional and social intelligence. Now, what I found that for, I think in most areas of life, for most people, wherever we, we have not been able to attain what we want, maybe we haven't attained the financial security we want, or we haven't um, moved up in a career the way we want, or found the love that we want, or have a, a consistent sex the way we want, usually the thing that's blocking that is not what we think. We think, well, I'm just not smart enough, or I'm not good-looking enough, or I, I'm not educated enough. Usually, it is a self-limiting belief, because you can usually look around and find people that are less educated than us, shorter than us, you know, uglier than us, that have <laughs> these things that we don't have. Yeah. So what's the difference? The difference is they don't have self-limiting beliefs, usually at an unconscious level, that they're getting in their way and stopping them. Now, the, the example I, I give in the Dating Essentials is I had really strong self-limiting beliefs based on, on the religion I grew up with, uh, my family, the feminism of the 60s. I had these beliefs that, that women didn't like sex and they, they were offended yeah. by men. Yeah, that's the old school thing. Even in my generation, that was still uh, like a myth. So, but I believed that. Now, so mm. that became a, a self-limiting and a self-fulfilling belief. I then interacted with women in that way because I thought, well, they don't like sex. And if they think I want to have sex with them, I even hid the fact for myself that the reason I'm talking to them is, you know, I might want to have sex with them. Mm. So that limited me in many ways. One, in just projecting an, uh, an energy of polarity that would be attractive to women. But the biggest way that it probably affected me is I didn't see the open doors of opportunity and or walk through them. 
And when this comes like to dating, for example, I tell guys a lot of times, I tell men, women are noticing you. They're sending you signals of interest. Um, you know, David Data says, choose a woman who chooses you. But the guy maybe is so blinded. I want the 10. I want that hottie over there. They don't see the other women that aren't the 10s, for example, that are sending them signals of interest. Mm. And so they either don't see it or if a woman does, like she smiles at him. Or he moves her body in a little bit, kind of opening up in a more sexual open uh, stance. Yeah, but, but it's no secret that men really, most men really have to take a course in how to recognize these things. I mean, the naturals, they get it, but you most do. of us you are do. blind. Yeah. But it, we're blind. To, I was. I was. That's one thing about the women in my life. They pointed the, those, these things out to me. I've learned this stuff from women. You know, mm. they go, that woman's flirting with you. What woman? That woman right there. Hmm. What do you mean? I don't see it. No, look how she's standing. She's jutting it about. And I go, oh, really? That's for me? She goes, yeah, who else is it for? You're the only guy here. You know, <laughs> I've had women give me those explanations. So now I try to teach men you know, what women ha have taught me. So, yes, we don't see it. We don't know how to interpret it. But a lot of times we'll see it and we'll go, oh, that can't be for me. Hmm. Uh, I, I must be misreading it. Hmm. Or if we do see it, whatever our fears it take over, well, if I actually go talk to her, what if I get shot down? What if I look foolish? Or what if she wants to have sex and then, like, I get trapped and can't get away from her? So, you know, all these things get in the way. And, and you can apply this to, to success with money, with career, uh, to just having the kind of life you want. If you are not having what you want in your life, it is probably unconscious, self-limiting beliefs about who you are and how the world works and what, what, how, you, how you fit into the world. And for in my personal and professional experience, when we can start challenging those self-limiting beliefs. For, for example, just by, by working on my own sexual shame that I inherited as a young man from various sources, working on my own sexual shame, my own fear of being trapped or overwhelmed or not good enough for a woman, working on this thing that women don't like sex or don't like men who do want sex, by just challenging those beliefs, right, mm. my world changed. I didn't even have to develop any other great skills other than just walk through open doors, take the chance. Just changing the self-limiting beliefs not only let me see the world differently, it seemed like the world began to interact with me differently. Mm. You're touching upon something very important here, namely the fear of rejection. And uh, uh, there was one of these uh, coaches, uh, may have been D'Angelo, I, I don't remember, but he said something wonderful. He said that, and, and he said this came from, this was wired in our genes. It goes back to the tribal society, but he says that okay. men have first minute resistance, and that's approach anxiety. And women have lost minute resistance. Mm -hmm. And we all know that, that you're finally on the sofa and you're ready to score, you think, and then comes a new shit test. You don't recognize it, <laughs> of course. No, no, let's just watch a movie. And then, of course, you, you don't handle it. You get frustrated. You start projection. You blah, blah, blah. I can imagine. There are ways to deal with that. But more, most interesting right now, because Nice Guys doesn't even get to the first base, so let's focus on that. How do you overcome the fear of rejection or first-minute resistance? This is actually a core piece that I started teaching men how to interact with women, how to date. It's really, really the first big piece that I had to start dealing with. Yeah. Now, I, I like, like every other man, 
I, you know, I had my fear of around rejection. And so when I started dating in my late forties, yeah, I, I didn't know how, how to talk to a woman, how to ask her out, how to get a phone number. And the biggest fear was, you know, I'll, I'll get told no, I'll look foolish. And, um, what, what I found was, is I, I, I practiced, you know, I read David D'Angelo stuff. I read the game by Neil Strauss. I listened to other stuff. I, I listened to, to podcasts and I just really realized this isn't rocket science <laughs> and the basics begin by just walk up to a woman and talk to her mm. and, and then be bold, take a risk. And what I quickly found out was the bigger, the risk I was willing to take, the more consistent was the payoff. Mm. And, uh, I found out, for example, you know, getting a woman's number wasn't hard. Usually all you had to do is have your phone out and say, hey, I, I want to catch up with you later this week. Give me your number. I'll give you a call. I got an idea for getting together. You know, whatever. You know, just but just do it, right? And mm. it, it surprised me how easy it was to get phone numbers. So when I started working with men, that's they always say, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of rejection. And and I, I, tr I would try to convince these guys, you know, rejection doesn't hurt. It's, it's just the story you make up in your head about it that you think, well, it's that, a limiting belief. Yes. It's a sublim belief that that mm. woman has low interest in giving me a phone number. And I started calling it that low interest. She has low interest in giving you a number or going on a date with you. I said, your, your, your internalized belief system was, well, that means that you are unattractive, unlovable, undesirable, and every other woman's going to feel the same. Now that's a pretty big leap for a person to make just because a, a woman that says no to, to giving you a phone number. But that's the leap that most men make, and that's why it hurts. The actual no or low interest response does not hurt. Mm. And, and so I, I tried to get men to even to like get the R word out of the vocabulary, but I never succeeded at that. So I, I found that there were other ways to actually help them go experience rejection and realize it didn't kill them. And, and so one thing I do is I'd give them an assignment. I say, go out with a buddy and try to get five rejections in one night. You know, approach women. Don't be rude. Don't be an ass. But just talk to them for a minute. Introduce yourself. And then say, hey, I got, I got to bounce. Give me your phone number. I'm going to call you later this week. Just do something that, that we, we assume would have a very low likelihood of having a positive response. So, mm. so you're likely to get, quote, rejected. Mm. And I, I go out with your buddies and do it. Now, what guys usually find, number one, is that once they do that a time or two, it's not hard because they're not trying to get rejected, so they're not anxious. Mm. They're trying to get rejected, so they're actually bolder and, and more just out there with it. And then like what most men find, if you tackle anything that, that scares you or that you've been avoiding, you tackle it and it doesn't kill you, there's the masculine initiation of it, it's kind of fun. It's kind of a thrill, like jumping out of an airplane or, you know, something else that, that oh, the adrenaline of that's all right. So I've had guys, I said, go out. And I tell men, this is usually the litmus test. The men who go out and do this of trying to get rejected usually kill that fear, and then they go on to be very successful right. I mean, and so Yeah, but this is Tai Chi. This is brilliant. It man. is. It is. And, and the thing is, I've had guys, and I've had this experience, I've gone out. And just, you know, done my damnedest to get five rejections in a night. Asking out <laughs> college-age women and getting their numbers. And I'm going, fuck, I, I had to go home without getting five rejections. Don't ruin the rejection training but, but for I, me. <laughs> yeah, but I had, a, I had a bunch of phone numbers, you know. Right. So, so doing that 
seems to get men over that hump of, of where everything they've told themselves about getting rejected and how it's going to destroy them. Uh, and when you just realize, first you go do it with some buddies where your buddies are doing the same thing. You're just trying to get told no, having fun with it, making it a game, being playful. And you'll be surprised how many good conversations you have, how many yeses you actually get and how little it actually hurts if you get told yeah. no. Yeah. You know, my way to to be desensitized to this was it was another route, but it has the same some effect. I think yours is probably more faster. But I practiced. You know, people say to me, "Oh, you can talk with everyone, anyone," because we have so many different subject fields and different guests. Yes, okay. but okay, it may be partly I was born with the ability to talk with people, but it's also that. Uh, I didn't start with going to the number 10 hot girl and wanting her home. No, no, I started to just be open to anyone around me in my sphere, in my uh, aura. Yeah, uh, is yeah. it a dog coming in? Oh, hi, dog. So the old lady in the shop that you would ignore and don't care about normally. Oh, yes, yes. W what about you? Nice day, right? And you just start opening up as a person. Yeah, it's nice. And people whoop. Are attracted and you get this communication flow and you start relaxing and experiencing that you can actually talk with anyone and everyone if you have the right mindset right and then we if you're actually out like we used to do pre-covid right when we actually went out out to meet a girl she went out to meet a man so even if she's not even interested in you, she's not going to like stab you in your chest for approaching her because she knows you're also there to meet someone. Mm -hmm. She will make up her mind very quickly and either reject you or maybe she will test you first to be open and see. And you may eventually end up being rejected, but at least you get over this first minute resistance, which is so toxic and really cements you in the nice guy friend zone state. Now, as for the last minute resistance, just quick on that. Okay. Uh, guys, it's all about two steps uh, ahead and one back. So as soon as she uh, signalize one back, you totally agree with it. And yes, 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 let's just watch this movie. And then you go back to, you know, the base you were at and work <laughs> up again from there. And it's going to be so much easier. Okay, let me well, press for time. Yeah, you want to comment that? Well, well just the one thing I'd say about yep. that. I tell men, I said, never try to get a woman to have sex with you. I don't care right. if it's your wife right. or you're like, this is the, you're on your third date and it looks like you're headed that way. Here's the thing. Well, number one, it's invasive and, and it can be abusive. So never try to get a woman to have sex. But in my experiences, I, I don't have to. Mm. But one time I thought I did. But here's the thing. If, if the woman puts her foot a little bit on the brake and you put your foot on the gas and yeah. keep trying to push through that because exactly. you have an agenda, yeah. what does she have to do? She has to put her foot on the brake even harder. Mm. So I, I really like what you said. Just kind of lean back playfully re redirect the situation, let go of the agenda. Mm. And as, and that's where I would teach the men, keep creating the positive emotional tension with no attachment to outcome. You're outcome agnostic in this. If you get laid tonight, great. If you don't get laid tonight, great. Let's just have fun. Touch her a lot. Tease her a little bit. Be playful. Be a little bossy. Just, you know, make it a dance. Make it a game. A dance. But yeah. without your foot on the gas trying to get her foot off the brake. And in my experience, um, when I, when I, again, when I was dating, I slept with many women. And I never tried to get any of them to have sex. They were all the sexual aggressors. My, that's true for my wife. She, <laughs> she propositioned me the first time we ever had sex. So 
you don't have to push. And again, often the women tap the brakes just a little bit. Society's taught them that they got to go through enough ritual that they don't feel like a slut, that they're, yeah. so they don't slut shame themselves afterwards. Mm. So let, let the woman tap the brakes. No big deal. Yeah. If she's already sent you a lot of signals that this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. Be patient. Yeah. Worry about it. She needs to be comfortable with it. Uh, I mentioned two quick traits, but we don't have time to go into them. And then a third, and I'll give you two minutes for that because we pressed for time. I just want to mention them because, guys, you have to avoid two very important things, obsession and judgmentalism. Both of those are super turnoffs for women. And it's also not a sign of an integrated male. But the third one, I want you to comment. And like I said, just a couple of minutes because we pressed for time. We have to uh, face off. But that's boundaries. Why are girls, I have many personal experience with this. Why are girls so attracted to males who are able to set boundaries? Well, it, let me even just back up a little bit. My, my wife and I were talking about a friend of hers and her 13, 14-year-old daughter, same, same age as my stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife and I were talking about this I think yesterday or today, of how the daughter constantly pushes the mother's boundaries because the mother doesn't have any. And, and like they were out, my wife was out with them the other day, and my, my wife set a boundary with the, the adolescent girl, and like she was then happy and calm and lit up. And I said, yeah, children want the security of boundaries. They want to know where, where, where the walls are, where the rules are, where the container is. They want the safety uh, of that. And, and, and in my experience, that we all, we all like to know where the boundaries are, but I think especially for the feminine part of ourselves, whether it's in us or mm. feminine part of a woman, is, is that they want to know where the boundaries are. If, if the feminine part of us is a, a security-seeking creature, we want to know that that the the person we're with has powerful boundaries. Now, when I was in doing marriage counseling, one of the things I'd tell men, I said, for example, if your woman sees that you don't have boundaries like with other women at work, or don't have boundaries with your boss and how he treats you, or you don't have boundaries with your mother and and you know how she can manipulate you, your woman will not feel safe. Your partner will not feel safe, and she'll probably start testing your boundaries just because she wants to see: Are you going to grow up? And grow some. Are you going to set some boundaries so that she can feel safe and relax into that space? So she'll be watching your boundaries with her or lack of them and your boundaries or lack of them with other people uh, outside of the relationship. And the clearer your boundaries are, if you don't let people walk on you, take advantage of you, manipulate you, hurt you, abuse you, you're strong, you do whatever, you you remove yourself, you speak up, you do whatever it is, she will feel safe and want to just relax and melt into that space. Yeah. Nothing is more sexual turn on for her than a strong man who can dominate but choose to show compassion. Sure. That's like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, the, the hero there, I forgot his name, but... It's an archetypal integrated man. Now, this has been wonderful, Robert. Your new book, what is uh, that subject? Well, I, the, I mentioned I'm working on a book called Positive Emotional Tension. That's the, how women need to have emotional tension to, to be attracted and aroused by a man and how we men tend to hate it. So it's really just teaching men how to be more conscious in the ways that, that we create 
emotional tension from women and respond to the emotional tension like shit tests that, that women give to us. So, okay. so that's the one I'm working on. And actually, I just started another one last week. My intention is to finish it in three months. Wow. And it's, it's, about, it's about overcoming self-limiting beliefs in such a way to help us get fit and stay fit over time. So I, I, I thought, I'm going to write this in three months. I think I can do it. <laughs> It's okay. Called, it's, well, it's called Jim. It's called Jim Rat Mindset about how we're gonna think, think and get fit. So how we start using our minds to work with us. Right. To, think and get, get fit. fit. That, that's a pun. Yeah, a Napoleon uh, book. Yeah, Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Yeah. So and the other one that you mentioned uh, is: Will that take more than three months? Oh, the positive emotional tension. Yeah, it's already taken several more months to get where it's going, and I'm probably about two thirds done. My my intention: I'm going to take three months off this summer, and uh, just have a writing sabbatical this summer, and not see clients, not do interviews, not teach classes. So my my ho- my hope and intention is is for the positive emotional tension book to at least be done in a pretty solid rough draft by the end of the summer. So yeah. that's, that's the intention I'm shooting for. Okay. And we, and, and we already mentioned the two books you have done, but then we could say that I'll probably contact you in a year or so and see if you've lived up to your uh, intentions. All right. I remind you, and I remind you, your slogan is where intention becomes action. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that prod. And that's one reason why I tell people what I'm working on, because, you know, I, I get emails fairly regularly. Robert, how's the positive emotional tension book coming? Robert, when's the PET book going to be out? Right, you know, so, right. and, and I, it's, it's like, it's like the shit test. I, I just right. smile at them and, and uh, go, yep. I appreciate them prodding because I need it. I'm human, right. and um, let's let's just let's use it. Yeah, yeah I get you. Yeah, there's some pressure there. But uh, yeah, I'll invite you back then. You want your game for a conversation? In your That'd be group? lovely. Yeah, cool. That'd be Great. lovely. Uh, yeah, I've I've enjoyed our chat. I'd welcome that. Same here. And just before you go, uh, your website. Tell us uh, where you can f- uh, they can find you and what you offer there, All especially right. now in these COVID times. DrGlover.com. That's just D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. I, I, I do have an online university where I teach half a dozen online courses there about relationship and work and, and just life skills in general. I do uh, now virtual workshops. I got a couple that'll be starting the end of March. It'd be March 2021 for those people who are listening to it right now. Right. The podcast that we've mentioned and um, I do some consultation, but I do that on a pretty limited basis, uh, mainly because I, I try to free up as much time as I can to write. So, yeah, they just check out drglover.com. If they Google Robert Glover, if they Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I, I have all the top spaces on those pages. So I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. And uh, you, I see you also have something called uh, Online Support Group. Yeah, there's a, a No More Mr. Nice Guy online support group. So if they actually go, I'll, I'll give them another website, but it's easy enough to remember. No More Mr. Nice Guy dot com. Um, that's, that's my website that mainly focuses on the No More Mr. Nice Guy material. And there's a link there for an online support group. It's free. It's been up for 15, 20 years. Hmm. Um, is moderated. It's just a place to go talk with other men and you know work on nice guy issues. This is the real manosphere. 
Oh yeah. This is what we men should be doing. Instead of sitting and bitching about women, we should get together <laughs> and conspire there, there might to be become some, better. There might be some bitching on that forum as well, but <laughs> but my moderators are try try to keep that to a minimum. Well, I mean, vent uh, if you need to, but sure. uh, you know, turn it into something. Turn it into action, right? Like you said. Yeah. Well, like yeah. like example, when, just quickly, when I when I was doing private practice or leading groups, guy might join a group and first week he's just complaining about his ex or complaining about his girlfriend and and i would tell them up front i said you have two weeks you have two group sessions to complain all you want after the second session no more we've heard it we're not interested now what are you going to do different that's what we will focus on wonderful famous last words as one say let's end <laughs> there it there thank you very much for coming on and helping your little brothers to you know get a grip Al, thank you for the invitation. I've enjoyed it. Okay, man, I know you have to go. Look, we we have like uh, 10 shows buffers in the website at any given time for members. Okay. So it's one in, one out. So it will take some time before this is out to the public. That's just fine. But I will send you the link when it's up and out so you can share it on social media, etc. Be happy to. And... Yeah, we'll just take it from there. And I mean it. I'll, I'll invite you back uh, later, a uh, year from now or something, and we can muse at your two new books. I'll, I'll look forward to receiving an email in a, in a year or so. Mm. But uh, no, it was an absolutely pleasure. And uh, we both talked very quickly today. So uh, I think we covered more than two hours, actually. Yeah, we, we dove in some pretty deep stuff. So th- <laughs> yeah. thank you. It was fun. It was great. Okay, have a nice evening with, with your strong wife. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I actually, I'm, I'm going to show up for a friend's online group later this evening and then family's going to go out to dinner after that so thank you very much well enjoy yourself take care so you reached all the way to the end congratulations there's yet hope for you now uh, before i leave you with some further advices of robots Remember that we are present at all podcast platforms. You better subscribe there. Of course, at the podcast, it doesn't matter which one you use. Google, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. Just find our channel there. Search for Forum Borealis and please subscribe. Remember, subscribing to us does not get you spammed. We release two shows a month. So if you want to be kept in the loop, go to YouTube. If you subscribe to us there or if you have a YouTube account, check that you are marked on the bell for all updates, not personalized or none. And if you don't use YouTube, you can find us at ODC, which is library's new site, which I think has the potential to become the YouTube. So check us out there and subscribe to us there. We actually get cryptos for people watching our stuff there. So that's kind of cool. It's so important that you go enjoy our shows. Do subscribe because subscription means that the algorithm spreads our show further, which means more kickback to us, which means that the doing this becomes sustainable. It also means more donors. It also means, more importantly, that the messages of our shows do not drown as much, but gets more traction. And my personal favorite, it helps us get bigger and more interesting guests at our show. You have no idea how many who doesn't go on on shows that are too small. They just don't have time. And for many of our favorites, that's still the case. So help us get those numbers up. 
especially if you're not uh, helping us otherwise by subscribing to our website or now if you're still uncertain about where you are at a nice cry specter be honest about if you ever internalize any of these sentences i'm one of the nicest guys i know how come i always seem to give so much more than i get all i want is to be appreciated is that asking too much i can never do it right she's always mad when will it be my turn she never wants to have sex anymore ask yourself do you give more than you get do you avoid conflict and keep the peace do you try and get people to like you are you feeling sexually frustrated are you living up to your potential do people walk on you and take advantage of you do you lack purpose and passion the good news is you don't have to remain bitter passive aggressive and lonely no matter where you are at life in life you can become a good guy but the first step is to acknowledge what's holding you back one thing we didn't touch so much upon in the show is the toxic and destructive aspects of the nice guy which the good guy has left behind dr glover says nice guys are guided by the following three covert contracts If I am a good guy then everyone will love me and like me and people I desire will desire me. If I meet other people's needs without them having to ask then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. If I do everything right then I will have a smooth problem free life. These covert contracts operate at an unconscious level. They don't work for a number of reasons but nice guys are convinced they should because most nice guys believe they have kept their side of the contract they often feel helpless and resentful when other people and the world especially girls don't keep their side of the contract as you now realize the road map of these passively pleasing men unconsciously influence every area of their lives and that there is another and better road map But then you have to humble yourself, your ego and your all-knowing mind who will dismiss such a light at the end of the journal, dooming you to remain forever the one who finishes last. Believe it or not, some dunces prefer the safety of a well-known hell. But if it's up to me, that's not going to be you. And if you've paid attention, it doesn't have to be anymore. I've pointed the exit, the rest is up to you. Okay, so far today... Thanks for listening, your support, and to my hard-working team. I've been your host, Al. Sincerely signing off. Be seen. number one.